Welcome to Nine to Thrive, the well-being podcast. I'm Julie Fisher, your host and positive psychology practitioner, coach, and well-being advocate. Here, you will find meaningful and lively conversations with experts where we explore the challenges to maintaining a strong sense of well-being, along with providing tips, tools, and strategies to thrive and flourish in our ever-changing and complex world. If you're ready to create more harmony, cultivate deeper connections, foster a greater sense of well-being, and live the life you long for, then you're in the right place. Thanks so much for being here. Let's begin our journey together. Hello, and welcome back to Nine to Thrive, the Wellbeing Podcast, Episode 5. Our second episode of 2024. I'm so excited to be here and we have a great guest today. And we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects. When I first got my certification in applied positive psychology, I got a lot of phone calls from organizations asking, would you please come and do a workshop on work-life balance? A lot of it came from like women's ERGs and family and caretaker ERGs. And so I created a workshop called Cultivating Work-Life Balance. And the first year of the pandemic, I did a lot of those Zoom workshops. And it was At the end of probably that first year that I realized that I had it all wrong, that balance was truly unattainable and pretty much BS. And what I mean by that is balance actually means equal. And if we're working eight, nine, 10 hours a day, and we're sleeping six, seven, eight hours a day, and we're taking time to eat and go to the bathroom and brush our teeth, there is no way it will ever be balanced. So I started thinking, what if we reframed this conversation, started using different language so that we could actually have a conversation about something that is attainable? Because I do believe that there is a pathway to increase our well-being, to reduce our stress, be more engaged in work and in life, be more productive in work and in life, and happier. Basically, it's the pathway to thriving. So I am so excited to welcome Mish Bondizio here today. Her new book called The Cadence Effect is changing this conversation. Mish and I are so on the same page on this. So I'm really, really excited for this conversation. Let me start by telling you a little bit about Mish. Mish is a writer, a speaker, a podcaster, a coach, an entrepreneur, and the author of The Cadence Effect. Her focus is on helping people to transform habits and practices to activate more of their potential, both at work and in life. She helps high achievers to step off the hamster wheel of overwork and the treadmill of hustle culture so they can activate their potential, build momentum, work with purpose, and craft a more meaningful life. 
Welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me on, Julie. It's lovely to be here with you. I want to begin today with your story. I wish your story of extreme burnout was rare. And unfortunately, I don't think you can pick up any major media source today and not know that it's not rare. So let's begin with your story. Sure. So my background is in communications and project management. And after I studied English and psychology, I embarked on a career um, working across creative and digital industries. And in these environments, my roles were typically high stress and they were deadline driven environments. So bouts of burnout were very commonplace in these types of environments. And typically with burnout, that's an umbrella term for mental, physical, and emotional fatigue. If the stress that contributes to it is short-lived, we get to take, and we get to take a bit of time to rest, we can normally bounce back and carry on. And that was very much my situation over my career. I would experience several bouts of burnout, but be able to get back on the horse and carry on. But then about 10 years ago, I went through a period of high stress, chronic stress, prolonged stress across both my work and my home life. And I didn't really have the tools to deal with it correctly. I just tried to keep carrying on. And I got to the point where uh, my body eventually called timeout. And I became very ill. I had physical and mental health issues. A whole host of different things were going wrong with my body and my mind. And as a result, the experience was so extreme that I was physically incapable of working for 18 months. And thankfully, I got the help I needed. I developed the tools and skills I needed. During my recovery, I explored a whole host of different healing modalities, conventional medicine, conventional practices, as well as holistic therapies. And I also dived very deep into trying to understand more about how my brain and body worked. Why had this happened? How could I prevent this from happening again? And so I did a lot of when I eventually could read a book again, because I went through a period where my memory was totally shot and I couldn't retain any information. But when I got to the point in my recovery where I could do that, I started reading voraciously to learn more about the mind and the body. And as part of this learning, I created a framework of practices and tools to help me get better and stay better. And then uh, when I returned to work, I realized I couldn't continue working the way I had. Um, I'd broken my brain and my body to some extent. I uh, did manage to rewire my brain through these experiences, um, but my body had weaknesses and I didn't have the same stamina that I had before to continue with the kind of work I was doing. So I became a freelance writer instead. But through my research, I discovered that this extreme burnout phenomenon was actually more commonplace than we realize. At the time, and this was well before the pandemic, nobody was talking about it. It wasn't getting the enough exposure. And so I decided in my local network as a bit of a side project to start doing talks and workshops around burnout and digital well-being and stress management techniques and ways that we could be a little bit more mindful in the way that we approached our work. And, you know, through my work, I redesigned how I work. I had redesigned my approach to work. So I was basically sharing my learned and lived experience through these talks and workshops. And this became a well-being and productivity focused business coaching situation where it actually moved from a side project and became a main part of my business, uh, which now sits under the banner of Creating Cadence. And I also have a podcast by the same name, which advocates for 
these topics and promoting better ways and more mindful ways of working. And so I now work with individuals and founders and also teams to help them create more meaningful work lives, essentially. Yeah, I love that. One of the things I want to just touch on is it's so interesting, this idea of the mind and the body. Our mind can tell us for long periods of time you can do this, just push through, you can muscle your way, right? Like you can just muscle your way through this. Mm. And it's interesting because I think ultimately it is our bodies that say, uncle, no more. And I think for a long, for long periods of time, we can ignore our bodies and we can ignore a lot of those stress signals. And it's like in the book, the body keeps the score at some point, the stress levels get so high that our bodies just completely shut down. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, with the way that we work in this modern world that we find ourselves in, there isn't the space for us to take time for rest and recovery and to restock our resilience muscle Really, you know, to rebuild our resilience muscle. And so that's why when the stress is prolonged, for whatever reason that the stress has been caused, that depletes us and we're not rebuilding. And so that's why eventually the body's immune system and its resiliency is just depleted to the point where it has to say, stop. And it's so interesting when you say it that way, because it's like building muscles when you think about our body, this idea of rest and recovery. So if I'm training for a marathon, let's say, and I have certain days that I run and then I have certain days that I need to rest and recover, right? So there are other areas of our lives where we get this. We get this concept that if I'm working on strength training, I know that there's a pattern and I may lift weights one day, but I need to rest the next day because my muscles need to recover. And so it's interesting when I think about it. Mm -hmm. There are areas that we see this, and yet when it comes to chronic stress, for some reason, we're not seeing this. When it comes to this idea of only being able to handle so many work projects or only being able to handle so much stress at home, I see people handling that sandwich generation bridging. You still have kids at home, or maybe you're sending them off to college and you have parents who are ill and you're trying to manage a career or you're transitioning out of one career and you're trying to figure out what that next thing is. Yeah, so much, so much there. Okay, so let's talk about this concept of cadence, which you say cadence, rhythm, pace, flow. I think you and I have talked about this. I talk about the word harmony when I decided balance was full. I started using the term harmony because harmony is the thing that brings it together. And cadence, it's fluid. There's a movement to it. Life is always going to be moving. There is always going to be motion. And I think the other thing is if we want to move forward, there is motion. Right? We need forward motion to do that. So let's talk about cadence. Of course. And I love your word harmony, and it actually ties in really well with cadence because historically the word cadence was commonly used in disciplines such as music. 
and dance. It's also used in sport. For example, in cycling, it denotes the cadence of your pedal stroke, the move, uh, the pace of your pedal stroke. Uh, And nowadays, it's also used in other arenas, such as marketing, when we talk about our publishing cadence, how often we publish our newsletter or our social media posts. How I came to focus on cadence as an important concept related to well-being and productivity is that I realized like you that trying to achieve this notion of balance that has become so ingrained in the way we think about work and life, it is its total BS because it's a static concept and it sets us up to fail. And I'll elaborate a little bit about it. As you said, life is really busy. It's fast paced. It's always moving and we need to try and keep up with it. We need to be able to move with it. But we're often stuck on this concept of work-life balance, which, as I said, is a static concept. Uh, To have everything in balance means that we can't move in order to maintain that balance. And so when we are out of balance, which is more often the case than not, it's telling our brain that we're failing because we can't keep everything even or balanced or level. And the reality is that at any given moment, There's one thing in our life that's demanding more than the rest, whether it's our relationships or our work life or our health or our financial situation. There's always something, but we still need to be able to move forward across all aspects of our life. So how can we do that even when one part of our life is demanding more of our attention than the rest? Well, this is where this idea of creating cadence comes in. And it's all about developing habits and behaviors, rituals, routines, and practices in both our personal and our work life that can help us to keep moving forward. And the way that we initiate and integrate these habits and behaviors and so forth sustainably is through small incremental changes. So it's a slow, gradual process, and that's what makes it manageable. I call those micro adjustments. I'm constantly talking to my clients and when I do workshops Mm -hmm. about micro adjustments, we're not talking about sweeping changes. I think cadence and harmony and what we're really looking for is found in those micro adjustments and small changes that we make. And the culmination of all of those small things can have a big impact. Absolutely. And as you say, that idea of movement and dance, it brings uh, an element of pleasure and joy and meaning into the way we move forward in life. And I think that's really important. I totally agree. I totally agree. Okay. So you're doing workshops, you're talking about burnout, you're talking about tools and strategies. Like me, you're thinking this balance is BS and you have this idea about creating cadence. When did you decide to write a book about it and what made you decide to write the book? So writing a book has always been on my bucket list. I just never knew what the topic was going to be. And um, in 2021, I, well, I, turned 20, I turned 50 in 2022 and it was my goal to write a book by the time I turned 50. And at that point, that. I'd been five years into this journey of delivering talks and workshops around these topics. And I realized that my point of view on mindful working practice really resonates with people who are tired of the situation that they find themselves in. They're feeling trapped and overwhelmed. They're trying to find another way through. And I realized that, you know, I had a lot of valuable information that I could share, but there's only one of me. And although I do work with clients online around the world, I can't be everywhere at once. So I wanted to make the information that I had to share more accessible to people. 
The second reason was that I also wanted to share my lived experience as a cautionary tale as, and also offer up suggestions for a whole host of different tools that people could consider and perhaps integrate into their existing practices so they could bolster their resilience and their, develop their abilities to face these types of challenges. Because the reality is we're all going to be exposed to situations, you know, based on the statistics where burnout is potentially a given. So how do we deal with it? When it happens, how do we support ourselves to make sure that we're strong enough to either avoid it or to get through it? Um, and then the third reason is possibly the most important, and that is around this idea. I wanted to really be a little bit of a graceful disruptor. I want to provoke thought and discussion to help disrupt these traditional ways that we approach work. They're really ingrained. They're actually patriarchal in nature. They're really unsupportive. The status quo in our traditional working environment and culture is that of this toxic culture of overwork. And we put ourselves at the bottom of the to-do list. We prioritize our work and all these other things that are important in our life. And as a result, we are not taking care of ourselves first. So helping people to become more aware that burnout is an issue because the rates are climbing, even though we've become more aware since the pandemic, you know, it's not going away. It's affecting people across job roles, across industries, across countries. Uh, it's becoming a pandemic, really. And what's contributing to it is, although it's kind of determined as a work-related factor or work-related occurrence, there are lots of things that create stress in our external world, inside and outside of work, that create this underlying level of stress continually. Whether that's in our home environments, you were mentioning earlier about being in the sandwich generation and taking care of kids and elderly parents at the same time. The economic situation at the moment is quite volatile and that's affecting people financially and creating a lot of money worries. And then we've got the environment and the climate crisis, we've got political conflict, there's a whole lot of uncertainty that's unsettling and it's hard for us to deal with. And when that coupled with overwork, the likelihood of being put in a situation where you're likely to experience burnout is much higher. So why do we have to continue working in this way? We don't actually. We can take charge. We can take control. There are things that are starting to take place as a result of the pandemic and the way that we've worked, where people are implementing four-day work weeks or working more flexibly. Creating cadence is another way that we can self-lead, that we can take responsibility and we can take control over how we design our way of working in the future. Yeah, it's so interesting. A couple of things I want to comment on. You just said a lot there. I do believe we have this low level of stress that's that's happening that goes unnoticed. I think in the pandemic, we talked about it more and you named a lot of things that are present that are creating stress that I think we are they're un, it's unconscious and therefore yeah. a lot of people don't realize that their nervous system is amped up in ways that it's almost like because it's chronic, we don't even notice those ways anymore. True. And there are so many things layered on top of one another, some of them very individual and then some of them in our communities, some of them globally, some of them, you know, in our country. Obviously, I live in the United States. The discourse here is very, very dysfunctional. I'm going to say I'm going to call it dysfunctional and filled with vitriol. And just watching the news can be so dysregulating. And yeah. we're in a time where we're watching violence and wars and people 
um, yeah, being travesties, a lot of travesties. And the way that dysregulates us, like I said, to your point, I think goes unnoticed. I think the other thing is that I believe we're in this unwell being crisis. I, I talk about this, that it is at epidemic proportion. Last year, the Surgeon General in the United States said loneliness, for instance, was an epidemic. Connection and belonging is such a huge part mm-hmm. of our well-being. And so I think we're in this crisis as individuals, as organizations, as communities globally. So yeah, there's so much there. And what I love is I've read The Cadence Effect. And what I love about this is it's like you say, it's a combination of a handbook, a guidebook and a workbook, which I love anything um, that helps me. I can read something and then someone's going to prompt me to actually think about what I just read and how it relates to my own life. And what are those tools and strategies that I can actually implement? So I love that. I love that. Okay. There are a lot of tools and strategies in the book. What are the key elements to finding cadence? So before we get to the tools and strategies, you know, it's about understanding where we're at so that we can build cadence and then connected to cadence is intentional productivity, but we can talk about that a little bit later. I love that word. I love (laughs) those two words. So in terms of finding cadence, I'd say the three initial key elements are place, space, and momentum. Now, place refers to your environment, and it's about connecting your internal world with your external world. And by your external world, I mean, I don't just mean your physical world, I also mean your digital world, your online life. And connecting with this requires you to hone your self-awareness and to develop your intuition. You need to understand what's important to you. What are your values and beliefs in the world? And how are they connecting with how you show up in that world? Because when they're not connecting, it affects how you communicate. It affects how you show up in your relationships. It affects how you do your work. And when things aren't in alignment, it creates a lot of friction. Friction causes stress. Stress leads to burnout. So that first thing is to assess, you know, what's my environment like? What is my internal and external world doing? The next is to consider space. And space refers to making room both physically and temporarily, uh, as in making time for us to rest recover and reflect. You know, we're in a world where we are operating on autopilot because we have so much content and stimuli and information coming at us all the time. There is a war on our attention. And because of this idea of overwork and our lives being so busy, we don't make the space away from that. It's it's breathing space. We don't create the breathing space to actually stop and synthesize what it is we're taking in and think about the impact it's having on our decision making and our performance and the way we communicate and interact with people. So with space, it's about thinking about how we can create the boundaries for us to rest and recover, to recharge, to create the space to think about what's coming in so that we can think creatively about solving those problems in the best way we can. And then the third element is momentum. And this is about those small, consistent steps. That's the way we build momentum and keep that momentum going over the long term. And closely tied to that is an idea around elasticity. Now, when I'm talking about building habits and behaviors, they need to be 
things that have the flexibility to expand and contract to the needs of our days and our months and our weeks. So if your morning routine has to be two hours long, that's going to create friction for you at some point in time down the line, because there'll be days when you slept late or you've had a bad night's rest or something is happening early in the morning and you only have 15 minutes. So it's about having habits and tools and routines that can expand and contract. And that's what helps us to maintain momentum, even when there are things demanding more or less of our time. Yeah, it's almost an agility. It's an yes. agility. So interesting. The, the rest piece. For me, I spent years identifying myself as a human doing as opposed to a human <laughs> being. I totally identified myself via productivity. Um, mm -hmm. I identified myself that way. I got a lot of my esteem needs met through my work. And I had to do a lot of work, Mish, around changing my mindset mm -hmm. around rest. And I'm imagining because you're working with high performers like I do, that just that mindset that even though we know adages like you can't pour from an empty cup and we know all those things yeah. up here. And yet there's this other thing that's battling us. And I'm going to say probably a lot of that is ego. There's this ego side of us that's battling and systemic messages that we're getting about where our value lies. That idea of rest Maybe the most difficult in terms of shifting mindset around it. Just Absolutely, throw that out there is. I, th I think you're right. Our idea around this hustle culture is, you know, bigger, better, faster, more. The more we do, the more we can produce. But the research actually shows that after we work forty hours in a week, our productivity takes a massive dive. So we're not actually supporting mm -hmm. ourselves to do to work better and to produce more. We are operating worse. And it does sound counterintuitive, but when we slow things down, and that involves creating space, we get more productive. We actually produce more. And there's lots of different ways that we can do that. And I do talk about that in the book. There's different uh, strategies that you can employ in the way that you work to change your workflow. But it's about thinking about space for thinking, for boredom, creative. for, cre for creativity. Creative. Exactly. Creativity, Creativity yeah. exactly. That, it's actually, that's part of your workflow. That's an essential part of your workflow, which we don't take into account. The second thing I just wanted to talk about around rest is we, when we hear that word rest, we think, oh, sleep, holiday, vacation, doing nothing. No, there are several different ways that we can rest that are both active or passive. And they can include doing sports. They can include being social. They can include engaging in spiritual activities, whatever that is for you. My church is being outdoors. For others, it's going to, to church. Um, it really depends, you know, but there are lots of different ways that we can recharge our systems. But it's Meditation essential. is rest for me. Absolutely. So there's a hundred you know, different ways. Yoga is rest yeah. for me, right? Those are all, yes. Yeah. Those, are, those are all, um, yeah, taking my dog to the dog park is, a, is rest for me. Yeah. Yeah. And all of those yeah. things yeah, actually they help build us up in a way that supports us to do better in the work that we do. We don't realize the impact that all of these other things happen have on us. I totally agree. 
Yes, I think I've gotten more productive, more creative for sure. When I was a kid, I always had a great imagination, a huge imagination, and I was really creative. And I think when I was really hustling, when, as Brene Brown says, when we're hustling, we're also hustling for worthiness. Mm -hmm. And when I was on that treadmill, it was like I had no time for imagination and creativity. And I see now the ways that those things actually do improve my productivity when I make space because that's such an enjoyable thing for me that it is brain rest for me. There are other things that I know are taxing on my brain and that's kind of my yin and yang. So let's talk about this idea of intentional productivity and why it's so important. Sure. So it's very closely tied to the concept of creating cadence. And it's important because engaging in intentionally productive practices is what gives us back control of our life. As I mentioned earlier, we're often operating in a very heightened state on autopilot because we've got so much coming at us that we don't have the time to intentionally process. So when we become more intentional, it's essentially about being more mindful about how we approach our life and our work. It's not just productivity for productivity's sake. It's not just productivity in a work environment. It's about developing more fruitful and meaningful life through the various different habits and behaviors. And so when we consciously take time to choose how we're going to behave, how we're going to act, how we're going to work, how we're going to engage or communicate in specific ways that we know will support us to show up better in our lives and our workplaces. That is what intentional productivity is essentially about. It's about all the things around work that help you work better and be better. Um, And if you show up better, you're going to produce better work. There's a lot of research out there that indicates that when we are healthier and when we're happier, Our sales skills improve, our communication skills improve, our reasoning and decision-making improves. So this is the score of what I advocate for in the work I do is instead of putting productivity at the center of how you work, how about putting well-being at the center of how you work? And the outcomes of doing so are improved productivity in every part of your life. And so in my coaching, I use a cadence framework to help people focus on four specific areas or pillars or compass points that they can look at and that will help them to improve and be more intentional in their practices so they can be more productive. And those are your foundations, your processes, your culture and your performance. And that's not just in a work environment, that's, you know, within a social environment, within your life as well. And then there's a lot of different areas within each of those pillars that we can explore. And it depends on the individual or the team that I'm working with as to which one we may focus on or how we bring those together. Just touch a little bit on, so someone's listening and they want to create some habits Mm -hmm. to support intentional productivity. Touch a little bit on each of those areas. What would someone do if they wanted to be more intentional in that area? So before we start making change, we have to understand where we're at. So the very first thing we do before we even examine any of those areas specifically is to create a baseline. Where are we at before we decide what we need to change? So when I talk about foundations, these are the essential elements connected with well-being, sleep, movement, nutrition mindset, breath, and so forth. And so 
these are the well-being and self-care practices that we may think are things we have to undertake in our personal lives. We carry how we feel with us. So what happens at home, we bring into the workplace. What happens at work, we take home. So that's what I always say. People, people don't arrive at work just as an employee. They arrive at work with every aspect of their lives arrives at that desk, the proverbial desk. Absolutely. So, okay. So foundations is basically taking a moment to assess where am I just in terms of my base foundations of well-being. Yeah. And a good way that you could, you could do it with foundations is there's two exercises I can suggest. The first is considering your morning and evening routines. What are you doing in the first and last hour of your day and how do they help or hinder how you function during the day? And then those are two areas in the last like five years I have changed dramatically Mm -hmm. and I'm such a huge believer in a morning and an evening routine. And I encourage all my clients to have a morning and evening routine, setting yourself up and then closing the day out with ritual and routine. There's something about that that has for me has been transformative. I agree. It's incredibly powerful. Uh, It's very simple, but it's powerful. Exactly. Um, And the other thing that you can do is to consider, and this brings us into the second element, which is around processes and systems. Consider your workflow during the day. You know, when are your high levels of focus? When are you more distracted? When is your energy? um, You know, what are your different moods during the course of the day? And how do they tie in with the way that you work? So perhaps the best time for you to be creative and to do your deep work is in the morning. But if you regularly have loads of meeting schedules during that time, you're not effectively using your creative time in the most efficient or effective way. I feel like there's a lot of research out now on that mm-hmm. whole subject of, and I'll be interested to see in the workplace, you and I are entrepreneurs. We can create our own schedules. And I've done a lot more with time blocking based on when am I most creative? When am I going to check off tasks on a to-do list? I'm going to be interested to see because this is a conversation I'm ha- I'm hearing in a lot of different areas, whether more employers are going to create space for people mm-hmm. to really, within obviously reason, you're working on group projects and things need to get done. But that idea of having a little more autonomy and self-determination mm-hmm. of your workday to basically maximize combining the skill and the time to get not only the most productive, but the best out of you. I think that's really what it's about, right? At what cadence? And Mm -hmm. if you look at your day, cadence isn't static, right? It changes during the day. And can we match that pattern to the time that gets us the best work or the best conversation or the best relationship building, whatever that is. I love that. Absolutely. And that ties in with the third pillar, which is culture. And very often in these workplace environments, things are dictated from the top down. But if you're in a situation where you can co-create a more effective way of working, that's going to improve team cohesion. It's going to build loyalty and trust. It's going to improve the culture. And so when you, again, are focusing on placing well-being at the center of how you do business, the chances are that's going to improve the culture within the business at the same time. And that is about creating opportunities for more autonomy, more flexibility. And there's several ways I talk about how you can think about doing that in the book. But it connects to 
meetings, asynchronous working styles, flexibility, etc. Yeah. And then the fourth pillar is around performance. And this is really about self-mastery and self-awareness and self-leadership. Yes, in a work environment, we are relying on our organization to help us be the best we can, but we are also responsible for ourselves. And I think that it's not just about how we show up in our work environment, but how we show up in the world. And again, this takes us back to that idea of place, our internal and our external world connecting. All of these things work together to improve the way we perform or show up in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So you've worked on your foundations. Okay. You're working on being intentionally productive streamlining our work and obviously we have jobs and i'm going to go out on a limb not that big of a limb and say innately there's stress if we're producing anything for anybody there's stress and so let's say we're working we were we've identified what we're doing from a well-being perspective and we're working in a culture that's even moderately supportive of us Mm -hmm. And yet still stress exists because we Mm -hmm. have clients that we're asking or customers or whoever. Let's talk about tools and strategies that reduce stress and increase our sense of well-being. What are your three favorites? I have a bunch of favorites, so I'd love to know. (laughs) What are your three favorites? Sure. So number one is a robust morning routine. We've spoken about it, but I, I cannot stress it enough. It is super powerful. Often in our days, our days run away with us and we don't know where they're going to go. But what we do in the morning before we start work is something we can have control over. And even when things are super stressy, you know, that idea of elasticity comes into play again. How can you ensure that you can still support yourself even when you may not have a lot of time for a morning routine? And so I'll give an example when I think when I have lots of projects on and heavy deadlines and I don't have a lot of time for a morning, a, a leisurely morning routine, should I say, I make sure that I am journaling, writing down things I'm grateful for, doing something to get my thoughts out of my head for five minutes. I am moving for five minutes, whether that's sun salutations or a little bit of stress, um, a bit of, you know, weights and uh, cool, or I definitely meditate for at least five minutes. And the last thing that I do is that I have a smoothie in the morning with loads of supplements added so that I know that even if at the end of the day, I end up eating bad because my willpower is shot to shit because my cognitive load has been overwhelmed. I know at least I have set myself up in the morning with good nutrition and movement and all of those things. You and I sound like our morning routines are very similar. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's what I do in a pinch. And if I have more time, obviously I'll expand that, but it's about building the toolkit uh, and being able to pull what you might need in that moment. So for sometimes meditation doesn't work. Sometimes it's chocolate that we're going to need, but knowing how we can support ourselves. So that's the first thing, a, a robust morning routine. And um, the second thing I would say is recognizing that we need to complete the stress cycle. There's a fantastic book about burnout written by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. Yep. And Love they talk about, they talk about completing the stress cycle. And, um, not many people know this, but in wild animals, they have an automatic stress cycle, which completes. So for example, you have a springbok in the wild and they are stalked by a lion. They sense the danger, their adrenaline kicks in and they flee, run away. And when things are safe again, 
they start shaking. They shake the adrenaline out of their system. Mm. And after a few minutes, they have completed their stress cycle. They're calm again and they poodle off into the bush to go and eat some leaves. But humans don't have that automatic cycle. We have to complete it manually, but we don't. So what ends up happening is we stack that stress one on top of another and we internalize it in our body and our mind. Mm. And if we're not letting go of it, there'll be an outlet for it in a way that might not be healthy. So ways to complete the stress cycle. There's some really simple ways, moving our body, changing our state. Could be going for a run. It could be just dancing in the kitchen or shaking your arms about. Another thing that you can do is breathing. Breathing is a really simple way. Physiological sigh or conscious breathing to change your state. Another really simple way of doing it is to laugh. Laughter helps release stress. It's really powerful. So in the moment when things are super stressy in your day, can you take a minute or two to breathe, to move, to watch a funny cat video? It's something that's going to help to keep you taking along. It's actually interesting. All of those also do involve moving something like moving yeah. breath. Dancing is moving your body or, or oh. walk around the block. Even laughing is moving energy because when we feel stressed, I think we can feel stuck. Yeah. And so even mentally, just that idea of moving it mm-hmm. and moving is a shifter, right? I think that just helps us shift. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That. And then the last one is uh, that, well, uh, there's lots of things, but what I w- another important one I would suggest is around mindset, as you've said. And I know that you're a practitioner of positive psychology and a positive mindset really is a game changer. When we are super stressed, we get very anxious, we might get down, we might get very depressed. That affects how we see the world. It affects the decisions that we make. It affects how we show up in the world. And it's not supportive. We operate small and we are in a negative state of mind. But when we are promoting high vibrations, when we're doing things to view the world from an optimistic viewpoint, we're going to make better decisions, even though we might be in a stressful, difficult or negative situation. We're going to be able to cope with it better and make the right decisions. And so ways we can do that are journaling, meditation, visioning practices. But what I would also say is, again, looking at setting boundaries around what we're consuming in terms of the content that we're looking at, news, too much social media. I have a very love-hate relationship with social media because for me during my burnout, it was in a way a a chance for me to connect with the world when I was very isolated. Mm -hmm. But it also brought about all of these feelings around comparison and compassion fatigue. And it was was very negative for my mental health in lots of ways. Mm -hmm. So it's knowing what might trigger and exacerbate the stress that you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. And the same with toxic people. Can you exclude them from your life when you are mm-hmm. going through specific things? The mindset thing is really interesting. One of the things I work with clients on a lot is this idea that everything is temporary. There's the, the, the onslaught of a moment is going to pass. And that idea that... I do have agency. One of the mindset shifts I think that's so powerful Mm -hmm. in all of this work, Mish, is this idea that I do have agency. I do have control about my next step. I do have control around 
how I see this, right? I talk a lot about, is this happening to me? I can look at it. Okay. Well, this is happening to me and I have no control. Okay. Well, this is happening and it's impacting me. And I do have agency for my next word, my next action. So I think that for me, the mindset piece is so interesting. Okay. So we talked about so many great things that I think are so related to how we thrive in the world. Now I'm going to ask you personally, I ask every guest at the end of the podcast for their personal three to thrive. So what are your three things that you do on a regular basis to thrive, to create the cadence that you want in your life? So uh, I love this question and I've listened to a couple of your previous episodes to hear what your other guests had to say, because I'm always curious about what people find works for them because it is a very individual thing. You know, what works for me might not work for someone else. So, but I love learning these things. So for me, like many knowledge workers, I spend a lot of time online. So for me, focusing on creating adequate space and time offline is really essential to help me thrive. And there's three practices that I engage in regularly to do that. The first is getting outdoors, getting into nature to recalibrate our systems. Human beings are part of a much larger natural ecosystem. We are intricately connected to it and influenced by it as much as we influence it. But we remove ourselves from it and we disconnect from it when we are online. And so I try at least four to five times a week to go out into nature, going for a walk or sitting in the park. Sometimes I can only go for 15 minutes or 30 minutes. If I'm feeling particularly triggered or overstimulated from being online, for example, if I've had, I find I can't have more than two or three Zoom calls in a day and my brain just goes crazy. Um, I have to be outside for at least an hour to feel my system reconnect and recalibrate. So that's really essential for me. And then journaling is very powerful for me. It was something I was prescribed as part of my cognitive behavioral therapy experience when I was in recovery and I've done it ever since. I follow quite a formal process when I'm journaling. I use a B5 notebook and the left side of the page is what I do in the morning. The right side of the page is what I do in the evening. And there's a, a gratitude element. There's a kind of documenting your thoughts and dreams. I look at the three things I may want to achieve in the day. And then at the end of the day, I'll look at what happened during the day, what I did, what were the wins, and they might be separate to what I wanted to achieve. And then considering how I could improve on things if there were things that didn't go quite so well. And the thing with journaling is that when we write things down, we activate a different part of our brain to when we're typing Mm -hmm. things up. We synthesize and cement those memories in a different way. And the movement of our hand across the page also connects with our brainwaves in a very specific brainwaves in a specific way that calms our brain. So there's a lot of power in journaling, but I don't just use it for my mental health, uh, you know, to get the stress or the anxiety out onto the page. I also use it as a productivity tool as part of my business. Every day I use writing to help with creative ideas, with ideation, and I also use it in my workshops. It's really powerful. And then the third thing that I do is meditation. And there's a few different ways that I engage with meditation. I first started doing it to help with my anxiety, but now I specifically use it to help with my focus and my productivity. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know that meditation can be very powerful for improving focus. 
and your output. So there's a few different ways that I do that. Sometimes I listen to the car map in the morning. I really like Jeff's voice on the daily trip. Uh, and he talks about really interesting things. So I'm a curious person and that helps me sit still and listen for a while and, and just be in the zone and the mode. But then I also engage in conscious breathing at different times of the day. So that might be box breath. It might be alternate nostril breathing, depending on how I'm operating. And then occasionally I will do something called yoga nidra. Um, I don't know if you know of Andrew Huberman of the Huberman Lab. He's got a great podcast. I know yoga nidra. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he, call, he calls it NSDR or non-sleep deep rest. And it's essentially yep. like taking a deep nap without the sleep element. Uh, but it, what it also does is it recharges you. So if during the day you're feeling depleted and you're wanting to regain your focus, that's a really good way to do it. So those are my three things, getting outdoors, journaling and uh, meditation. I love those. I love all of those. I do all of those. <laughs> I I'm big on nature bathing. I call it nature bathing. I need mm. to get outside every day. And I have a dog, so I have to get outside every day, no matter mm-hmm. what the weather is here in Chicago, Illinois. And I meditate every morning and I journal. It's so interesting Mish, that you say journaling helps me focus in ways that other practices don't. And as has meditation. I first, I first did meditation because I thought I needed to calm down. It's really, really helped me with focus. So I totally agree. So I love those. I love those. Thank you so much. I've loved this conversation. I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for the work that you do in the world. I'm grateful for this book, The Cadence Effect. I think it is changing a conversation. I think the more of us who have this conversation in words other than balance and keep reminding people that balance is bullshit, I think that's where meaningful change can be made. So I'm really grateful to you for the work you do, what you're putting out in the world. And to all of our thrivers listening, thank you for being here. Together, let's be brave, curious, grateful, and kind. And we will see you next time. Thank you so much, Judy. We've come to the end, my friends. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Nine to Thrive, the well-being podcast. I really appreciate you listening. I invite you to follow and like this show on whatever platform you're using. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a friend, share it on social media, or write a review. My goal is to provide useful information that will help you to thrive and flourish, and I always welcome your feedback. If you want to receive more strategies to increase your well-being in your inbox each month, head over to my website, juliefishercoaching.com, and sign up for my newsletter. Until next time, take care, Thrivers.